secret that families don't always get along. In case you're wondering, my family doesn't always get along either. You know, I think about, you know, think about the, the newlyweds that have been married for five minutes. I think Scott and Nikki were supposed to go to a wedding last night. And think about that newlywed. Who the first five minutes, the first few days, they think they're I'm in love forever. And nothing is, I'm going to be different from every other couple. Well, that was us when we got married. I thought, boy, we're going to be different from everybody. We're not going to fight. Well, that's quickly changed. We fought lots and lots over the last 16 and a half years. But thankfully, it's gone from fighting this much down to fighting this much. But we still have our issues. We still fight. We still get on each other's nerves. I've told uh, Nicole this, that if you don't see here Leslie here on Sunday morning, you might have to wonder about what we were doing this morning. Or last night, Kristen says, I will not go to church if we're fighting. So she's here, thankfully. And last week, she was just sick. Anyway. Um, so married people fight. But married people aren't the only people who fight. Uh, siblings. You guys fight, right? I remember being a sibling with my brother, uh, my twin brother. Uh, I remember beating him up one time. I remember uh, doing, uh, doing those irritating little things that I knew were going to get on his nerves. My kids, bless their little hearts, they fight with each other and they do exactly the same thing. As much as I tell them, this is the only brother that you're going to have. Uh, you know, you're going to wish that you got along later. They just don't always do that. So siblings, they fight. Uh, parents and child, any parent want to admit that they fight with their kids? I will admit that I fight with my kids. Normally it's Noah. You know, Noah's 13. He's getting older. Those wings are starting to spread. And I'm trying to push them back in. Because I'm like, not yet. Caleb, yeah, he's like, we don't fight. Well, the day is coming when Caleb and I are going to fight as well. And Leslie can attest to the, the stubbornness. She can attest to the, the honoriness that comes out in me and Noah when we, we fight. She doesn't like it, but we do it. Okay? It's just it's a part of life. But, you know, fights don't just happen in family, uh, between parents, between kids, between mothers and fathers. It, they happen kind of everywhere you go. There's a possibility for a conflict. It might be between teachers and students. Anybody ever hear of a fight with this teacher? Uh, between coaches and athletes. Between bosses and employees. People everywhere at some point in their life struggle to get along with each other. And the sad thing is, it happens in churches all the time. Um, you know, remember the slideshow that I showed a couple weeks ago uh, about silly things that people fight over? I'm not going to, I just want to quickly run through these just because I had it. It was uh, silly things why people leave churches, silly reasons why people fight, why they, why they separate from each other. Uh, just real quickly, for those of you who are here, Thank you. 
Lots of silly things that people fight over in churches. And, you know, when we fight in churches, it's not quite the same as when we fight in, as in our, our own homes. Uh, for example, uh, my, I will never be as blunt with you and as honest with you as I am with my wife at home. It, it doesn't happen. I'm not going to be so vocal with you as I am with my kids. It's not going to be so obvious that I have a problem with you as it is with my family, but the issues are still there. If there, there's potentially, there's no issues right now, but potential issues are still there between you and this person, between this family and that family. And the church in Philippi that Paul is writing to is exactly the same. Their fights might be over different things, but there were people in that church who were not getting along. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses mainly 2 and 3, but I'll read through uh, verses 2 through 5 uh, as before we dive into this. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. It says, I implored Yodia, bless you, and I implored Sintichi to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, to help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let's pray one more time. God, I do thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the things that you have taught me in this that I feel like I've had to put into practice uh, throughout my life. And I just pray that if there's something here that could be valuable to somebody, that it would stick out to them, that they could use uh, the next time they're fighting with somebody or the next time they come across somebody else who's having a disagreement with somebody. I know your word is valuable uh, for all of us for, for some point in our life, and I just pray that we see the value in it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so our message today has two points. The first is get along with other Christians. The second is to help other Christians to get along. So verses, verse 2, we have Paul that is trying to uh, encourage the church in Philippi to get along with each other, these two women. It says, I implore Diodia and I implore Sintichi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now we really don't know much about these two people, except we know that they are women. Uh, we know what their names mean, Yodia means sweet fragrance. Sintichi means affable, which I had to look it up, means friendly, good-natured, easy to talk to. Now, uh, any girls want to say thank you, Mom and Dad, for not naming me those names? Nicole's better, Leslie's better, Anita's better? Okay. Uh, but we do know some things about these women. Okay, we do know, uh, verse 3 says, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Last week when we were talking about our heavenly citizenship, we looked at how you get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that's by putting your faith and Jesus alone for salvation. So that is something, obviously, that these women have done. Verse 3 also says, let me read it for you. Uh, Help these women who labored with me in the gospel. These women said, hey, I put my faith in Jesus, but I'm also working with you, Paul, to try to reach other people with the gospel message of Jesus. They weren't content to say, I've got my fire insurance. They wanted to help other people come to know the Lord. But what were they fighting about? We don't know. Paul just wants them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, possibly, they just had some uh, problems that they were dealing with that had nothing related to the church, nothing related to God, because we have fights like that, right, where I don't always get along with Leslie, but it has, doesn't always have something to do with the Lord. And maybe Paul's saying, let your bond, your sisterhood of believers, 
uh, of being believers to be stronger than whatever other issue this is. Be willing to agree to disagree. Be willing to set aside this issue so that you can be unified in the Lord. But it could be a disagreement in things of the Lord, which I think might be more likely. I don't know. But the women were a very major part in the starting of the church. Remember when Paul went to Philippi in the first place. Who was the first person he came across? A woman named Lydia. And, and she was the one who gets credit for having the church first church house. Paul met with at her house. And then after Paul was in, Paul and Silas were in prison, they went back to her house and met with the other brethren. So women of that day uh, had a very major part in the things of the church. And perhaps that's it, what they were fighting about. Maybe they said, it's my turn to host the house church. Maybe that was a problem. Maybe it was, what kind of activities are we going to allow in the church? Or how are we going to use the funds that come in? You know, we have this missionary Paul that we all really love and like, but there are other things we could do. Maybe we could help this family in need, in our community. Both are good options, but they can't always coincide. You can't always agree on these things. And so possibly that's what their issue is. And what happened? They had an issue in the Lord uh, based off of, uh, what this letter says, but how did they resolve that issue? How did they try to resolve that issue? Perhaps Yodia and Sintichi says, it's your problem. It's your problem. I'm not dealing with this. You need to come to me to make things right. Maybe that's what it was. They just said, I'm not doing it. It's her job. Or maybe they tried. They kept talking and they kept working together and they just kept butting heads and they could not resolve this issue. And so maybe that's what's going on. But they, either way, this issue is so big, it hopped on a boat, and it went all the way to where Paul is at in Rome with the guy named uh, Yodi, or the guy named Epaphroditus, who thought it was a big enough issue in order to tell Paul about it. Now, I'm sure it was causing problems in the church. Maybe it was this side of the church versus this side of the church kind of thing. I don't know, but it was an issue. This isn't the only time Paul's ever had to deal with uh, church issues. Uh, Sunday school kids, paying attention? Okay. Uh, in First Corinthians chapter 6, it talks about people suing each other. People inside the church who are suing each other in order to resolve their differences. And Paul says, that is not okay. First Corinthians chapter 6, it says, dare any of you having a matter against one another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world, and if the world will be judged by you, are you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matter? So you have these people who are fighting with each other, and instead of trying to resolve it in home, inside the church family, they say, we're going to court. We're going to have other people solve this. And Paul says, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. Really, he says, in verses 4 through 6, it says, if then you have judgments concerning things, pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to shame you. He, what he's really saying is, you guys have issues. You're taking it outside the church to have an unsafe person deal with. He says, what would be better is for it to be taken care of by anybody in the church. Just pick somebody, say, you be the mediator, you decide between these cases. Now, if that works out in your favor, yay, I'm glad we picked that person. But if that doesn't work out in your favor, that could feel like a raw deal. But Paul says it would be better to be wrong by your brother and sister in Christ instead of taking it out there to have someone else deal with it. Anybody like that? 
Ah, that's tough to swallow. What if the person I pick to mediate doesn't side with me, right? I know the law is going to be more unpartial about it. But that was a conflict that Paul has had to write to the Corinthian church to deal with. Paul even found himself on, in the middle of a conflict in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. Uh, Paul has been on a missionary journey. Paul wants to go on another one. Acts chapter 16, and verses 36 to 41. Okay, it says, so the keepers of the prison reported these things to Paul. No, that is not right. All right, well, whatever. Okay, so Paul wants to go on his missionary journey, and he, he comes into such a start, uh, a, a huge dispute with um, his, his fellow Paul and, I think, his Silas were, were fighting. I, you know what, this would be a lot. Okay, Paul and Barnabas wanted to go on another missionary journey, and they became... Heated, a heated discussion because there was this man by the name of John Mark who was with them previously who said, I'm wimping out. They, they came to a certain point point. he said, I'm turning back. I do not want to go on this missionary journey anymore. Well, Barnabas wants to give him another shot at it. And Paul says, I'm not taking another chance with this guy. And so they had such a heated dispute that they parted ways and they went two different directions. And Paul, where does Paul go from that point? Paul takes Silas. He ends up going to Philippi, which is the church that he started, that ultimately Paul is writing to 10 years later to, to write about this discussion. So Paul, no, he's written to other people who are fighting. Paul has dealt with conflict himself because conflict is a part of life. The, the struggle with, with it is just how do I resolve this? And we're going to look at a little bit at how to resolve these conflicts in a few minutes. You know, the same thing that happened in that church, people who disagreed, people who couldn't solve their differences, people who didn't get along, happens in churches today. And we need to make sure that we are getting along with each other. We need to figure out what it takes to get along, and we need to do that. Now, obviously, that's easier said than done, right? If I'm having a conflict with somebody, it's easier to say, yeah, you get along with your wife, I can't get along with mine. You get along with your kids, I can't get along with mine. If you're in that situation, it's a lot harder. Christians inside the church, they fight with, uh, with lots of different things. It might be how a ministry is run. Like maybe it's the water program or, or who's going to do which job when it comes to being uh, the, the option that comes up for a ministry. If it's cleaning the church, if it's fixing the, the lights, who's going to be the one doing that? Who's going to be the one who steps up to be the Sunday school teacher? Churches fight. I've done this for 20 years. Now it's your turn. Uh, people fight over the style of music. They, they leave churches over the coffee, right? Apparently, that's a good enough reason. Uh, people's churches still split based off the color of the carpet or the, the color of the walls or even something as simple as the order of the service on each given Sunday. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people have problems, and they just leave. They, they leave without trying to work it out. I have a problem with Karen. I'm just going to leave because I have a problem with Karen. I'm not going to deal with it. Um, some people leave without trying to understand the other side of the issue. Because a lot of conflicts can be solved if I just get the other person's point of view. Uh, some people leave without trying to reach a compromise. How can I make you happy and keep myself happy as well? And instead of handling it the right way, people leave the church, people leave the situation because they cannot figure out how to get along. But we've got to, as brothers and sisters in Christ, figure out how to get along. So how do we do this? 
Well, I have a few, a few examples or a few verses that I want to look at before I get into some of what I've recruited from some of you to help me out with this. Uh, the first is to speak the truth in love. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, keeping the unity of the spirit of the bonds of peace, it's through speaking the truth in love. That doesn't mean that you just tell somebody exactly what they need to hear. I mean, it, in a way it does, but it kind of depends on how you say this. Uh, you guys remember, I remember this with Nicole. Uh, we were discussing something in our teeth and, and telling somebody the truth that they needed to hear. And she said that morning, I think it was Nick, her mom, you got something in your teeth. Speaking the truth in love. If we're fighting, sometimes you've got to say those hard words in order for things to be resolved. But there is a right way and there is a wrong way to say this. You know, I think of this Andy Griffith show where Andy's trying to deal with these two people who are married. And he, he gets them into the jail and he's trying to help them to, to say that those loving words the right way. And he says, Andy says, the husband, why don't you say morning, dear? He says, morning, dear. He goes, no, morning, dear. Right? You can say the right things, but you have to say them the right way. You can, you can say things tactfully or not tactfully. You can tell your kid, that's a dumb idea. Or you can say, you know what, did you stop to consider, Noah, that there's another way to do this? You can say the truth in love, uh, but it's just a matter of how that you say this. So when you have a conflict with somebody, speak the truth in love. Just nicely, hopefully you can't with a smile on your face, but say it lovingly. The second thing that you can do is listen to understand. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about doing to others as you would have them do unto you. And it talks about uh, loving your enemies. It talks about sharing with those in need. But it also should apply to how I treat those, those people in my family. I should treat them to the way that I want to be treated. I should listen to them because I want them to listen to me. Now, my wife can tell you I like to jump to conclusions. She was telling the uh, Sunday school kids that I, I, I go half-cocked sometimes because I think I know where it's going. And so I just respond to that instead of hearing the whole story. So I, I need to make sure that I am being willing to listen to the whole story, to, to both sides, uh, before I, I make a decision. The third thing that I can do is to respond in love. Even if somebody comes to me with their, their fangs out and the claws showing, I don't have to do the same thing. My natural response is, you bite me, I want to bite you back. You know, that's, that's always the, the difficult thing uh, because it's just a human thing. At least with me, if you hit me, my fists are out here, and I'm ready to start swinging. But God has a different response for us. Okay? Proverbs 15, verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. Obviously not my first response. Not, not naturally the thing that I want to do. But if I'm going to be uh, dealing with somebody and an issue, I need to make sure that I am responding in love. Instead of yelling, I don't want to hear this, instead of making excuses, I need to take a very deep breath. I need to stay calm. I need to respond how I want someone else to respond to me. If I want my wife to be gentle, what do I need to do? Be gentle. If I want my boss to be patient or to be calm and to listen, what do I need to do? I need to be calm and be patient. I need to listen. However I want someone else to treat me is the way that I need to treat them. So if you do those things, if you speak the truth in love, if you listen to understand, if you respond in love, does that mean all your problems are going to be solved? 
No, it doesn't. Your problems are not all going to be solved. You can only do your part. Sometimes you're going to have to agree to disagree. Sometimes you're going to have to part ways. That's what Paul did. But when they did, it wasn't like they were just mad at each other forever. Actually, what turned out was they divided and they conquered and they went two different ways in order to do ministry. They said, we just don't want to agree on this one person to take with us, but we're not stopping doing what God has given us an option to do. But like we talked a, bit, a little bit about Sunday school, is there's a verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You are not always going to get along with your kids. You're not always going to agree with your boss. You're not always going to get along with your neighbors or your coworkers or even each other inside this building. But as far as it depends on you, you've got to try to keep the peace. And I, you know, there's a time in our life when Leslie was pregnant with Noah. And we had to, uh, we did our part in order to make things right. And we went to a pastor because some family member was causing a horrendous amount of stress on Leslie, which is affecting the baby, which is affecting our marriage, all sorts of things. And we went to the pastor and said, what do we do? You know, he says, you know, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But there's still a point where you can say, okay, I'm cutting this line because it's no longer good for my family. Instead of just getting together and fighting about this all the time or what's going to affect her and the baby, it was okay to say, okay, we're going to agree to disagree. And so just because you do everything in your power to try to make it right with somebody is no guarantee that it's going to be resolved. But the point is, is you have to do your part to, to make it right. Now, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, I got this problem with Josh or with my wife or with somebody else in the church, and I'm just waiting for this person to come to me to make things right, that's probably not the best way to handle it. First of all, I don't have anybody mad at me that I'm aware of. So if you're waiting for me to come apologize to you, you're going to be waiting a long time. Um, but how do, who goes first, right? Me and Darren, we got this problem. Who goes first? Well, uh, there was this uh, uh, a marriage seminar I went to once. It was called Love and Respect. The man wants respect, and he ain't going to give love until he gets respect. The wife wants love, and she ain't going to give respect until she gets love. So you got two people with problems. Who goes first? Do you want to know who goes first? The guy said it. No. He just, well, they're going to go home and fight about this. He says whoever is the most mature goes first. Okay, so hopefully that's you. If you've got a problem with somebody, and you guys have something you need to resolve, hopefully you're the mature one in order that goes to try to solve this problem. It'll work in your marriage. It works with everybody else as well. So, first thing you got to know is you have to get along with each other. Okay, you have to do your part to make sure that you are getting along. But you say, you know what, I'm getting along with everybody. Everybody likes me. Uh, everything's just fine. But you might know somebody who is not getting along with somebody else. Well, uh, verse 3 deals with that a little bit. Paul writes, And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel. Paul is not there. Paul is in a Roman prison. If he was in Philippi, I'm sure he would be grabbing those two ladies, bringing them together, saying, hey, let's work this out. Let's figure out what the problem is. We need to compromise. Is one of you right? Is one of you wrong? What is it going to take in order to bring the peace again? But he cannot do that himself. So he's pleading with somebody to do that. Uh, the commentaries, they kind of give an idea that it might be somebody named Zizekus, forgive me for not pronouncing that right, who Paul is specifically asking to be the peacemaker. And that could be true. 
Paul could be thinking of one person in particular that he's saying, you know who you are, you need to help these women. But he's also talking about yoke, loyal yoke fellow, which is a word used for companion. It's used in the bonds of a marriage or co-laboring or being in business together. It, you know, it's the idea of the people who are in it for a long haul. And Paul could be mentioning to, to that person that I want you to get involved to help these, to, to help these women solve their issues. And maybe this guy is the perfect person. Maybe he, he's very familiar with both sides. Maybe he's related to both of them or has some kind of special relationship with both of them. And I think if that's the case, Paul's re- referring to the right person for the job. Now, if you're, you might be the right person for the job. You know, you've watched two friends bicker back and forth, and they have both told you their side of the story, and so you know all the information, and you might be the person who's supposed to bring them together. If, you're this, if you get secondhand information, like, like my wife told me that somebody did this, you're probably not the person who's right to go be the peacemaker, because you just are not close enough to the situation. So it might be tough to be the person who's called on to be the peacemaker. You're close enough to the situation. You've got both people uh, telling you both sides of their story, and you've got to be the person that needs to go and make it right. But Paul is also writing to the church as a whole. Everybody who's sitting there while Paul is reading this hears about these two women. They hear that somebody needs to go and make this right. So maybe Paul's talking about uh, a situation everybody knows and saying, look, somebody just step up to the plate and please go and make these right, make the situation right between these two ladies. It's affecting their life. It's affecting the church. And obviously it was affecting Paul, who's hundreds of miles away and probably lots of people in between. It was a very big deal. Matthew 5 talks about blessed are the peacemakers. You know, peacemakers are very brave people. You know, you don't make peace where there's already peace, right? You don't go to war. You don't go between two countries and try to make peace when they're already getting along. That doesn't make sense. You've got to enter the battlefield. You've got to be afraid of getting hit by arrows or bullets on both sides. It's a very scary place to be. And you might be the person who's called on to be the peacemaker, to be the loyal uh, yoke fellow. Are you willing to do it? Uh, are you wondering, how is it that I do it? Well, the Bible here, I, I looked through it a lot this week, and it does not give a list of, here's how you be a peacemaker. Here's how you help people get along. And so I recruited a little bit of help. Okay, I got four responses. I don't know how many people wanted to that didn't get to it, but I sent out an email and I asked for a response. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? How do I be a peacemaker? Uh, what does a peacemaker look like? I figured if this was like a Sunday school class, this would be a great time for our group discussion. I know that you guys would have answers that you wanted to give, but I didn't know how well that would work during church. So I just did it on the email. A few of you have responded. And so I want to look, uh, just mention what those are. And I, I agree with them. I think they're good responses. One person said, a peacemaker is a person who does not try to stir up trouble, but rather looks for ways to refrain it. He does not try to stir up trouble. He looks for ways to try to refrain it, to try to stop it. Another person said, a peacemaker is someone who's gifted at seeing and sympathizing with both sides of an argument and is able to get both sides to agree on a suitable compromise. Some good advice from some of you. Another one says, a peacemaker requires not being a pot stirrer. Some people like to just keep that mix going, and they're just glad it's not me, but I don't mind watching it 
uh, in somebody else. That person also said, it's important to use good judgment and keep your mouth shut. Sometimes it's better to say nothing instead of to egg it on and try to make the, the situation even worse. And then I had one more that I, um, it's a little bit longer, but I liked it. Uh, so I, I'm going to read it to you. It's, it's this long. So it says, we all know what a troublemaker is. It's one that thinks only of themselves. Peacemakers and sandpaper have a lot of similarities. The goal of both is to join multiple components together and have them exist in harmony. The refinement process is also similar. A carpenter starts with the toughest brick sandpaper and sands the roughest spots on all the components, and when he is finished with the rough grit, the wood is still rough, but he knows the goal and envisions the finished product. A peacemaker uses words, actions, questions, and imagery to help make other people be open and nimble to see what the rough spots in this life are. The peacemaker has a long-term vision and is committed to the refinement process. And there's a little bit more, but he talks about they're committed to seeing it carried out. They're going in there. It's got the rough sandpaper. Sometimes it's saying those stuff words. It's, it's being willing to work through it until this issue is resolved. A peacemaker is a scary place to be. It's a tough thing to be. Uh, some other things that I came up with is if you're in a situation where you have two friends, you have two family members, you have two different parties who aren't getting along, and you have the opportunity, it's important to try to pray with them. Because I can... I can go and try to convince Leslie that she's wrong all I want. But I might need God to convince her that she's wrong. Just waking you back up. Um, uh, another thing would be to encourage them to work it out. Matthew 18 talks about if your brother has something against you, it's good for you to go and make that right with them. That's the first place to start. You've got to go say, hey, I realize I could be the person who can help you solve this issue, but you've got to go to that person and talk to them first. It even gets worse than this because Matthew 5.23 talks about if your brother has something against you and you're going to give up your offering, he says it's better that you leave and don't do that and go try to make things right with that person. That's because they have something against you, even if you don't have something against them. It's important that you encourage forgiveness. Yes, that person said they're sorry. No, that person didn't say they're sorry. They're not going to ever say they're sorry, but it's important to you for you to forgive them anyway. And it might come down to being the, the, the man in the middle, the, the person who's willing to mediate and work with both sides for the compromise and to make things right. But that, those are some things that it takes to be a peacemaker. A lot of people say, thanks, you lost me on the first thing. You know, I know it's important. I know the Bible says I should do it, but there's no way that I want to because I just want to try to keep everybody happy. Uh, but it's important if you get the opportunity that you, you at least try. But if you say, I'm not going to be a peacemaker, you can't make me, I don't really care. Uh, don't be the pot stirrer. Don't be the person who wants to throw in their two cents that kind of eggs it on, that kind of helps this person feel justified in their feelings and, their, and how, how they want to handle it. Either say nothing at all or try to do what it takes to bring them together. And it, whether it works or whether or not, make it your goal uh, to, to help them to get along. Conflicts with people are part of life. No two people are exactly the same. I bet there was a carbon copy of myself I'd probably fight with myself. It's just the way that I am. You know, and you're going to fight with your kids. You're going to fight with your spouses. You're going to fight with your coaches. You're going to fight with your neighbors, your coworkers. But you need to do your part, especially with Christians, to make sure that you get along. And then once you're getting along, you see other people who aren't getting along. 
I want to encourage you to try to help other people get along. Pray with them. Go to others on their behalf. Encourage them to make things right. You know, we can't, can't we all just get along? I don't know how to answer that. Uh, we, it is pretty tough to get along, isn't it? But it's important that we try to do our best to try to get along. You know, we have a lot of eternity we're going to be spending together in heaven. I, I would encourage you to start figuring out how to get along with each other now. Uh, I just want to close in prayer. And I want to pray that God would help each of us to get along with each other. And that he would help us, if we find ourselves in that situation, to help other people to get along as well. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you, God, for the, the simple things that we find in your word that can handle every situation that we're involved in. God, nobody here likes to fight with people. We don't want to be the one that has to be in the situation. But God, if we find ourselves in a situation where we are not getting along with people, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you would remind us of what we need to do, that we need to speak the truth in love, that we need to love, treat others the way we want to be treated, that we need to make sure that we respond in love no matter what the other person does. God, I know that we all come across people in our life that don't get along with each other, family or friends or coaches and athletes, God. I just pray that we would have the wisdom to help them to get along as well. Thank you, God, for your patience and your grace with us. And I just pray that you would help us to get along with each other better this week than we ever have before. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going we're gonna to stand a secret that family.